What a great message. This world is not my home. Amen. Hey, we want to keep the flow rolling. Adam's got another question he's going to throw up there. Again, if you have a question, though, we'd love to have you text it in to um, 774-FCC-1852. Anybody know what 1852 stands for? Guesses? Huh? Shout it out. It's the year First Christian Church began, 1852. The next question I want to go to is a question on Calvinism. And this came in very early in this discussion. Um, and many of you may have no idea at all what Calvinism is. There was a man by the name of John Calvin lived uh, several hundred years ago. And he developed a theological system, a systematic theology to try to explain the faith. And we are not a church that would subscribe to Calvinism. Calvinism is really on the rise, especially in America today. Some very popular preachers, um, Rob Bell, uh, Mark Driscoll, uh, to name two, are are huge proponents of Calvinism. And the easiest way to kind of understand Calvinism is through the acronym TULIP. And the T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. L stands for limited atonement. I can't spell, but that's okay. The I stands for irresistible grace. I spelled that wrong, didn't I? Is it I or not? I'm struggling up here. And the P is the perseverance of the saints. What's another way of saying that? Once saved, always saved. And I think that's the second question that actually came in this morning. Once saved, always saved. Can a person lose their salvation? We would be a church that would be more, I guess, closely uh, connected with the teachings of a man by the name of Jacob Arminius. And if there was one word that kind of summarized Calvinism, it would be the word the sovereignty of God. Okay? You are helpless to resist God's grace if God's grace is poured out upon you. That's what Calvinism would teach. Calvinism would teach that some are predestined to be followers of Christ, and some are predestined to not be followers of Christ. And Calvinism would teach that once you are saved, You cannot lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Jacob Arminius, if there was a word that really kind of summarized where he was coming from, it is the word free will. And that's where I land in in, in many ways, in many arenas. What's John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I guess a point I need to make with this whole entire morning right now is um, many of the questions came in, how do I feel about a certain subject? How do I feel about a, a certain topic? And it's really irrelevant how I feel about something. Uh, the bottom line is you're going to stand before the Lord someday. I'm going to stand before the Lord someday. And if I were you, I would develop a faith that is yours, a faith that you own. A faith that is real for you. I think that's a huge problem in Christianity today. Too many people have their parents' faith or their preacher's faith or somebody else's faith, and faith is not real for them. To answer that specific question, can a person lose their salvation? I I believe they can. I believe they can. And I've had a couple people in my life, unfortunately, that um, I spent a lot of time with 
that, say, 20 years ago were really on fire for the Lord. And today, they, they have intentionally and willfully walked away from the faith. Now, my Calvinist friends would say, what? They were never saved in the first place. I've had people tell me that. I, I just, I disagree with that. I think if my friend, I won't name him by name, but, you know, if he would have died at 17, I believe without a doubt he was a Christ follower, and he would have went to heaven. And I believe that if he died today, I'm not God, I'm not playing God, but I, I would not want to be in his shoes. I would not want to be someone that has willfully and intentionally walked away from the faith. So I hope that answers that question. I don't even know what number that was. Not even sure what number that was. Let's, um, Adam, let's just go to number one. Adam, uh, number one, I think Alan Bell sent this in. Uh, on Father's Day, we talked about Psalm 103 and four attributes of God the Father. And in it, here's Alan's question. He says, um, in Psalm 103 and possibly other passages, sins and iniquities are mentioned. Obviously, both are undesirable in the eyes of God. Is there any difference between sins and iniquities? And what I want you to do real quickly is grab your Bible. And if you don't have your Bible, grab your pew Bible. Turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a great passage that um, actually gives us three different pictures of separation from God. Psalm 32, verse 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I think right there you actually see three different words that are used for this process of missing the mark, the separation from the Lord. Sins iniquities, transgressions. Don't forget the book of Psalms. It's poetry. And and what the author is trying to drive home is that we are sinful. We fall short. And we we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. So is there a difference? There is a difference. Sin um, in the Old Testament, I don't want to go Hebrew on you here, but I will for just a minute. Um, The Hebrew word shatah, is what is used many times for sin. That's an act that takes place, the act of a sin. And the word iniquity is the word avan. And this is more getting at the heart, the desire, the inclination of the heart. So is there a difference? There is a difference. What do you need to take from that? What we need to understand is that we are fallen individuals. Um, One thing that I love about Calvinism and about TULIP is the fact that I can't save myself. That we are lost. We are fallen people. What's Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so that's a great question by Alan. Is there a difference? There is a difference. It all revolves around the fact that we uh, fall short of the mark and we need a Savior. Adam, go ahead and go to number two. This came in. And this was a question that kind of made me laugh because I didn't know the answer to this. What does the word carousograph mean? Anyone know? Anybody have any idea what it means? Surely? I'm going to test you. Written proclaimer. The caruso, caruso is a Greek word that is used to preach or to proclaim. And our weekly newsletter publication for 53 years has been called the Carusograph. It began in either 1957 or 1958. I couldn't get the math down. Do you know? 
57, sounds good to me. And the way I know that is that I have a newsletter right here. This is volume number 53. So if you just uh, subtract 53 from 2011, you get 1957. Uh, This has been a great, great work through the years, helping the church and really the community stay connected. You may not know this, but we send out over 1,200 every week. And you may say, we don't have 1,200 people that go to our church. It's amazing the number of people that know me and know us through the Caruso graph that are not a part of this church. Maybe they're a part of another church. Um, Last Christmas, I I wrote some kind of, I called them heart stories, illustrations that weren't going to make it into Sunday morning sermons. And I had people literally stopping me that I had no idea who they were and a little tear running down their cheek. I love the story in the case. So you just need to know it goes a lot further than we realize that it goes. Um, I want to go ahead and tackle number three and number, let me look here, let's do number three, Adam. Okay, I'll tackle that for right now. Um, Why do you have to be immersed to be a member at First Christian Church? That's an excellent question. And immersion is a, is a word that's used for baptism. It is a biblical word. In the New Testament, you see the word baptizo that is used. There is a Greek word to, uh, to sprinkle, and it is not used in the Bible. And one of the, the, the real passions of the founding fathers of the Restoration Movement, we're, we're part of a movement called the Restoration Movement. It's been around since the early 1800s. And you're talking about men like... Um, Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell and his father Thomas Campbell and Walter Scott. And one of the real passions that they had as they looked at American churches and specifically denominations was that many of the denominations had, had um, kind of strayed from using the Word of God as their sole base of authority. And so they wanted to promote Christian unity. They wanted to win the world for Christ, but they had this passion, we've got to get back to the truth of God's Word. We have to get back to God's Word. And one of the things, Campbell especially, if you read Campbell's early writings, he was convinced that too many churches had stopped practicing baptism by immersion, and they had adopted the process of infant baptism. And some of you were baptized as an infant. Um, It kind of revolves around the question of, of original sin. When your baby is born, when my baby is born, are they born sinful? If they died at five days of age, would they go to hell if they didn't have some water sprinkled over them? Um, I would say absolutely not. They would not go to hell. Absolutely not. We do not practice infant baptism. We would practice and promote the idea of the age of accountability, the idea that when you're old enough to know you are a sinner, when you're old enough to need a Savior, that's when the age of accountability comes into play, okay? But we are a church for 200 plus years that the Christian churches have practiced baptism by immersion. There are six staples of First Christian Church that I would throw out there. And if if you're new to our church or you haven't been around for very long, I'm going to try to do these pretty quickly. But the six staples are this. God's Word is our authority. We're saved only by the grace of God. I can't earn my salvation. You can't earn your salvation. We practice baptism by immersion as part of the salvation process. You may say, what is the salvation process? I'll get to that in just a moment. We practice the weekly observance of the Lord's Supper 
You've heard this before if you've been around very long. We practice every member ministry. I don't know why I'm trying to draw this because nobody is going to be able to read this. And the independence of the local congregation or the local church. These would be six staples of First Christian Church. And we do practice baptism by immersion as part of the salvation process. Walter Scott, one of the founding fathers of the Restoration Movement, taught us the five-finger exercise. Anybody heard of the five-finger exercise? What is it? If you were at camp with me, your hands need to go up, right? Because we learned that. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live the Christian life. And, And we get that because you can go to various places in the New Testament where it says you need to believe to be saved. You need to repent to be saved. You need to confess to be saved. You need to be baptized to be saved. Romans 12, you need to live for Christ. Um, I will also address the issue of local church membership. And I think that's actually a question that's come in this morning. Is that right? Crank that up there for me, buddy. By the way, I want to just say thank you to Adam, because if he wouldn't be up here, this would uh, definitely not be running as smoothly as I hope that it will. I'm a baptized regular attender. What's the difference between myself and a member, and how do I become a member? Um, If you are a baptized regular attender, and you want to become a member, it's really an easy process. We would encourage you to schedule a meeting with myself, or with Ernie, or Kent, or Adam, or Jim Koontz, one of the ministers, and we'd love to sit down with you, talk with you about your faith, share with you what our church is about, and it's as easy as coming forward and placing your membership. People have asked, what's the difference between a member and a regular attender? I'm throwing that. Not not a whole lot, quite honestly. Um, One thing that you will not find in the New Testament is a mandate for local church membership. Now, I'm not against local church membership. I, I hope you will become a member of First Christian Church. It's a blessing to be a member of the local church. But Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He didn't say, go build up the church at Antioch. Go build up the church at Jerusalem. Now, those, of course, were founded after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So are there people that have been here for many, many, many years and are not members? Absolutely. I've had some people tell me I'll never be a member of First Christian Church. And and I'm okay with that. I really am. I love having you a part of our church. But to be a member of First Christian Church, one one of the things that you will do is you will submit to baptism by immersion in order to be a member of First Christian Church. That's a long answer. Um... Let me go back to this real quickly, to the different six staples. Um, We offer a class once a year called Discovering First Christian Church. And we take what we're doing this morning and we make it about a 90-minute presentation. I would love to invite you, if this is just kind of wetting the whistle, just kind of wetting the appetite, I would love to have you come. We've had people that have been a part of this church for 40 years come to these classes. It's interactive. You can ask questions. It it really is a blessing in many, many ways. Adam, am I pushing inbox here, buddy? Oh, wow. Look at this. Okay. Let's go ahead, Adam, and let's move to question number 11. This is not really a doctrinal question as much as Um, maybe a practical question. Question number 11, is there a reason for the repetition of announcement of upcoming events? These are printed in the Caruso graph, the Sunday bulletin, on the screen, 
Ernie mentions them, and I mention them. Is there a reason? Absolutely yes. Do you want to know what that reason is? You all don't read, and you don't listen. I love you. I love you with all my heart, okay? But it just doesn't happen. And what I have found, and I don't know why this is, if an announcement really is important, before I start my sermon, if I say, hey, tonight we have, and I throw it out there, or next week we have, for whatever reason, most people connect when I say it or someone says it during the sermon slot. I have no idea why that is. And I know it's probably frustrating for some of you that are, that are really attentive people to read it in the K and the bulletin and see it on the screen and hear Ernie say something about it and hear me say something about it. But all I can say is we've got two options. You get better at listening and reading or you get used to hearing announcements shared over and over and over again. Okay, I'm glad you laughed at that. I, I was hoping no one would throw a tomato or anything along those lines. Um, look at, let's go to 15 and 16, a couple more practical questions. 15, do we feel the church has become too casual, both in dress and in attitude? Well, I, I do not, personally. I, I really do not. We are the body of Christ. Um, we are a fellowship of believers. And one of the questions we're not going to have time for is frustration that prior to first service, there's a lot of loud socializing, and there's not that, that reverent spirit as we enter into worship. Um, I believe as the body, a big part of what we're called to do is to experience fellowship with one another. When you're up, to be up with you. When you're down, to be down with you. And, and so I love the fact that we have adopted um, a come-as-you-are. We have people with suit and tie, Alan, Larry, I think Kent's got a tie on this morning. That's great. We have people in uh, polo shirts and, and khakis. I think that's great. If you come to second service, you're going to see shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts. And I know for some of you, you're saying, is that okay? I, it is okay with me. It really is. It really is. The only stipulation that I would put out there and this is especially relevant. Um, we, we've had to deal with it when I've worked with high school camps or CIYs or some of our teenagers. If the way someone dresses is distracting to the body because it's too provocative, because maybe it's showing more than it should, that's where I would say we have to draw a line. Um, God honoring, God glorifying. Sunday morning when we gather together, we want it to be a time where we grow together in our knowledge of the Word. Okay, what did I say? 16 next? Let, let's skip 16. I think I just addressed that. Um, let's jump all the way down to number 27. I think Jan Dial brought this question. I, don't, I think she's a second service person, but I'm going to go ahead and go with it. Do I believe we are living in the end time? Oh, there she is. Yes, we are living in the end times. I believe without a doubt. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Does that mean Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Maybe. Is Jesus coming back in a year? Maybe. Is Jesus coming back in a century? Maybe. And that's why you need to be ready. And that's why I need to be ready. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say every night when we lay our heads down on our pillow and go to sleep, we need to be prepared to meet Jesus. Believe that with all my heart. Now, um, 
Someone asked, are you a premillennial dispensationalist? Do you believe in a pre-, mid-, or post-millennial rapture? Where, where do you fall out on all of this? I'm going to be very unpopular with this and just say, I really do not know. I, I don't know at all. I believe, having studied with Bob Lowry, Bob Lowry came to our church many times. He's now in heaven with the Lord. But um, Bob Lowry, I guess I'm a student of him, and he is an amillennialist. He believes that much, he believed that much of the book of Revelation is symbolism. It's a picture in many ways. He does not believe that everything is going to be a literal fulfillment someday. Um, the thing with the, the premillennial dispensational, that's the idea that Christians will be raptured, then there'll be a thousand-year time on earth where people, in essence, will get a second chance to turn to the Lord, but there'll be a great persecution that will take place of those that turn to the Lord during that time. Um, in some ways, it'd be great if that happened because it'd give everybody a second chance. But when I read the Bible, when I read especially the words of Jesus, I don't read this idea of, you know, live for me if you want to, then I'm going to come take the Christians, and then you're going to get a second chance to, to really turn your life for me. I don't see that. I mean, I think Jesus is coming back, and the sheep are going to heaven, and the goats are going to hell. I, I really believe that. And that's a mandate for us to be ready. Um, well, I can't believe it's almost 10 after. Let me, let me do two more questions real quickly. Let's take one that came in this morning, Adam. Why don't you surprise me? This is really scary right now. But um, go ahead and surprise me. We'll see, uh, see how good I do here. Probably not very good. Let's crank that up there, bud. What's that? Take a minute. Okay, then let me go real quickly. Um, I think Jandile also asked this question, and, um, and it's a real passion for me. What's your favorite book of the Bible, and what's your favorite verse in the Bible? First of all, I love the book of Acts, love the history. Many of you have, have studied with me, uh, with us, through the book of Acts. That's a lot of fun. I love the book of Romans because of the power that Paul is able to uh, show how grace reigns over the law and how through Christ we're free because of grace. I love the book of Romans, but my favorite book of the Bible would have to be the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, it's a book of comfort, and I tell new believers, I tell new Christians, I tell old Christians, if you find yourself down and discouraged, if you find yourself really wondering, you know, what's the purpose of life, you can't beat 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in my book. I absolutely love it. If I had a favorite verse, that's really hard to do. It's probably 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I absolutely love that. Okay, let's check this out here. Can you explain the power of prayer? For example, if someone has a car accident and many people are praying out for this person, are we essentially persuading God to help? What is taking place? Well, the answer is I think yes. I think that is exactly what's taking place. I want to say this. I believe God answers every single prayer that you pray. You could pray today, God, make me a millionaire, and God will answer that prayer. Now, you probably won't become a millionaire right away, but I think God will answer that prayer. I think God would answer that prayer for most of us, including me. No, because, it, Greg, if you became a millionaire, that million dollars, that surplus could very well get in the way of your walk with me. So I believe God answers every single prayer. I don't understand why some are answered yes and others are answered no. I don't get that. I watched an entire community 17 years ago pray for uh, 
one of my favorite Christian people ever, Terry Maurer. I watched people fast. I watched people pray for hours upon hours upon hours that God would heal this man. And he died. Did God answer that prayer? Yeah. He didn't answer it like I wanted him to. And some of you have experienced exactly the same thing. You've prayed with all your heart for something, and the answer has been no. But I'm reminded of one of my, what one of my seminary professors taught me. Um, his name was Bob, and he said, Never forget the principle that God is God and Bob is Bob. And that sounds kind of funny in many ways, but there's a lot of truth in that. I'm not God. You're not God. Um, is God's mind ever changed? Absolutely. We have biblical examples of how uh, the heart of God was changed through the power of prayer. But it doesn't happen every time. And so I would challenge you to be a person that's passionate about prayer and understands that God answers every prayer, even if it's not in the way that we want. Um, I'm going to end with this. This came in from Cindy Andrews, who I don't know if she's here this morning or not. Said, there she is. back. She's hiding back there. That's okay. Um, th- there was a great discussion on Facebook about um, why don't we study the Old Testament more. Some people say that we only value the New Testament. We don't value the Old Testament. Um, what is our call? Why do we do what we do? Well, obviously, I believe the 66 books of the Bible are the inspired Word of God. And I would challenge anyone that would say we're not an Old Testament, stu- that we don't study the Old Testament, we don't preach the Old Testament. I think that's just, you're not paying attention if that accusation is being thrown out. That said, we're not called to be the church at Antioch in the New Testament. We're not called to be the church at Jerusalem. We're called to be Christ followers. And that, that's what we are all about. The Great Commission says go into all the world and preach the good news. The great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I really believe that that is what our call is all about. We're going to move into our invitation right now. So if our instrumentalists could make their way up, um, I want to just say thank you. And we got to about 10 questions. There were 45 that came in. So we will do this again. I think we're going to actually do it on January 1st. I think is the next time that we're going to do it. So don't make big, wild New Year's Eve plans. You'll need to be here. Sunday morning, January 1st, to continue this. But as we end today, I want you to know how important it is that you are a Christ follower. And if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, I want to personally invite you right now to come forward as we sing our song of invitation. Let's stand, please. Have thine own way, Lord.